Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Miner Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil. As usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do stop by yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity in Canada's Yukon Territory. And to quote Samuel L. Jackson in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. Because this week we are going technological. That's right, we have a special dedicated to, quote unquote, the green revolution. And what that means for mining. So we'll be looking at cobalt, lithium, graphite, all your favorites. Uh, We'll be having a a few really good guests stop by to chat about market fundamentals, uh, what's going on in the startup space, etc. First and foremost, Trish Saywell, our senior staff writer from Toronto, uh, will be swinging by to talk a little bit about Cobalt. Uh, Trish has been doing a lot of work on Cobalt Fundamentals, talking to analysts, some of the junior startups, and also sitting down with Robert Freeland to talk to him about his Cobalt startup in Australia. Uh, So it's going to be a really great segment. Look forward to having Trish stop by to uh, update us on what's so hot about Cobalt. Uh, Meanwhile, we also have Lucas Lundin's comments from our Canadian Mining Symposium in London in early May. Uh, Lucas also touches on uh, green energy, what that means for the copper market, and what he feels about investing in lithium. Uh, so yeah, a, a collection of great guests. I'll also touch a little bit on some of the analyst notes I've seen on lithium, on cobalt. Just got an update from Canaccord Genuity uh, after a battery conference in Australia. So lots of great things coming up in terms of renewables, electric vehicles, etc., and what that can mean for commodities. Um, and uh, this is sort of a companion piece, I, I should point out, for the technological metals special that we will be running in the newspaper next week. So do, do uh, keep your eyes peeled for that because that's going to be a great one with a lot of uh, more in-depth coverage on A, fundamentals, and B, some of the companies out there uh, that are making aggressive moves into some of these uh, commodity spaces that are, that are underpinning this sort of, as we said, green revolution. And while we are on the topic of the newspaper, please do consider uh, hopping over to northernminer.com and grabbing yourself a subscription. Our executive edition is a screaming deal at $289 per year, which uh, entitles you to bi-weekly newspaper delivery, complete web access, plus company and property profiles. Uh, You can also set up personal topic alerts and news archives that date back to 1986. Uh, So great uh, great deal. Please do consider uh, supporting us uh, as we uh, endeavor to bring you the cutting-edge journalism in the extreme of industries. Uh, but before we dig into our technological special, we'll do our touch of macro for the week, uh, dig a little bit into uh, what's on the newswire in terms of copper, gold, all your favorite commodities, and sociopolitics. So let's get going. First off, gold bounced back this morning after uh, f- tumbling late yesterday on what people are calling fat finger volumes after it dropped below $1,240 per ounce near close yesterday. So it bounced back to about $1,250 per ounce this morning before closing slightly down at $1,247 per ounce to end the day. Uh, The U.S. dollar has gone softer ahead of a speech later by uh, Janet Yellen where investors will be looking for clues on whether the U.S. will keep raising interest rates later this year. Uh, Investors remain skeptical, notes Scotiabank, and market pricing shows only a 40% chance of a rate hike at the Fed's December meeting. Meanwhile, ETFs were down 25,000 ounces gold yesterday. On to base metals, which were broadly up across the board again this morning, with traders noting that copper remains supported by potential short-term supply issues, i.e. at places like Grasberg. The red metal was trading at about $2.64 per pound at the time of recording. Meanwhile, zinc prices hit a two-and-a-half-month high overnight after last week's declining level of visible stocks. Zinc was trading at $1.23 per pound at the time of recording. Uh, Scotiabank noted that London Metal Exchange copper stocks were down another 40 
2,100 tons overnight, with LME zinc stocks down another 1,300 tons as well. Furthermore, after spending three weeks hovering close to $55 per ton, spot seaborne iron ore prices have started to pick up again, with domestic Chinese steel mills looking to build up inventories in and around current levels. The metal was trading at nearly US $60 per ton at the time of recording. On to seaborne coking coal markets, which were taking a breather this week after heavy trading last week saw prices bounce back up above the U.S. $140 per ton level. Scotiabank's notes that these moves were largely quote-unquote sentiment-based and were buttressed by chatter regarding potential Chinese domestic production cuts. And that pretty much wraps up our touch of macro for the week. So uh, without further ado, let's crack onwards and upwards, or forwards, I guess, into our technological metal special. Uh, and first up in our segments here is our senior staff writer, Trish Saywell. Uh, and she joined me to chat a little bit about Cobalt, uh, the fundamentals, as mentioned, as well as some of the companies that she's looked at in the space. Um, and you've probably heard a little bit of buzz about Cobalt recently. Uh, people have been launching deals, uh, talking about where that next source of Cobalt might come from. Uh, as we get into uh, with Trish a little bit in the segment. Um, a large amount of the cobalt supply globally comes from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, there has been concerns uh, voiced by a lot of large-scale uh, uh, electric vehicle and technological companies about the use of child labor in some of these independent mines and sort of a, just a lack of oversight over uh, conflict materials that could be coming out of the DRC. Uh, so that's one sort of thread of narrative we talk about in terms of cobalt, also its rarity, etc. Uh, but I don't want to steal anyone's thunder, so let's, uh, let's roll right into our segment with Trish. Uh, I'll be out back after the break and we'll take a little bit of a glance at a recent note from Canaccord Genuity on battery metals. Welcome, everybody. And today we're joined uh, from Toronto by our senior staff writer, Trish Saywell, uh, to talk a little bit about cobalt. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, Trish. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Um, and so you've done quite a bit of research recently uh, on cobalt. I, I've definitely heard the buzz around the industry uh, in terms of the mineral and, and a potential, I guess, uh, supply-demand uh, tightening. Uh, maybe just a little bit of what you've heard in terms of the market and why this has sort of emerged as a, a story recently. Well, it's really boils down to the electric vehicle uh, market and cobalt's use in batteries. But whenever I talk about cobalt, I like to start by talking about Robert Friedland, who's probably one of the best mine financiers in the business. And he told me a few months ago that cobalt is his second favorite metal of all after copper. Uh, so that's pretty high praise. It goes, his list goes copper, cobalt, nickel, and then platinum, palladium, and silver. And basically cobalt is used, the, it's cobalt sulfate actually, and nickel sulfate, which are both used in the production of lithium batteries. And what a lot of people don't realize is lithium batteries are actually uh, misnamed in, in some respects because just 4% of the raw material by cost in a lithium battery is actually lithium, but 15% plus or minus is cobalt and 80% is nickel sulfate. Okay, you know, that's interesting to me because one of the other things I've heard sort of in my uh, discussions on the floor of some conferences and things is that the big thing with cobalt is it's not really a primary metal, right? That's right, it's not. It, there's only one primary a cobalt mine in the world, and that's in Morocco, apparently. And so most of the other cobalt is mined as a byproduct. You're right, mainly with nickel, but also with silver. And so that's interesting to me, sort of in so much as it, it's sort of tied then to nickel and copper markets then, right? That's right. And that's why a lot, there's a, a problem with supply, because if nickel prices are low or silver prices are low, a lot of the owners of these mines are not going to want to ramp up production just to get the cobalt. 
And the other thing, I guess, is that a lot of it comes out of the Democratic Republic of Congo. So, so you could sort of almost look at it as like a conflict material. Absolutely. In fact, I was talking to the CEO of, um, of One Junior. He was over in Asia doing a, a sort of marketing trip. Uh, he is with Castle Silver Resources, I believe it is. And he was telling me that in Japan, uh, they, they just call cobalt, uh, you know, they don't want to get it out of the DRC. It, it, they just don't want it to come from there. So they're, they were anxious to, de- to do deals with, with his company. And his company doesn't even have a, a, a resource estimate on, on it yet. But people in chi- the ma- manufacturers in China were sort of saying, how much money do you need? They didn't even care that his company didn't have any resource estimates. And the same with the Japanese uh, trading com- companies. So there's a huge demand. Uh, and it's interesting. I mean, like, so you see, you've, you're hearing sort of some of these juniors put together cobalt deals now. And, and, and one of the things that, that it sort of strikes me is the scarcity of it. And I mean, so where are you hearing that these people are looking, uh, you know, sort of to put together deals around cobalt? A lot of them are actually in northern Ontario in the cobalt area and this, the old silver areas. Um, First Cobalt is a junior that we've, we've done a lot of work with. Uh, Trent Mel, he left his job at Paratree Securities to join First Cobalt just because of the compelling dynamics of the business, he said. And, and his first deal this year was, was getting ground in, in that area of northern Ontario. Um, so he knows what he's doing. And then he also did a deal in the DRC. for. Uh, okay, so, so, so people are not necessarily completely eliminating the DRC as a jurisdiction for this. No, they're not, but they probably would rather do it somewhere else. Uh, and Friedland actually has 16.5% uh, in a company called Clean Tech, which is developing the Syreston project in Australia. Um, and that mine is going to be the first mine dedicated to producing the raw materials needed to produce nickel and cobalt sulfate for use in batteries. And, and in, interestingly enough, today, BMO uh, said, started covering that company with a target price of $1.40 Australian, which is double the current price of the company. And it describes the project as one of the few cobalt-leveraged, advanced, and permitted pre-construction assets outside of Africa. So, you know, and then the Chinese are involved in it as well. So Freeland owns 16.5%. Pungshin Mining, which is a privately held conglomerate in China, owns another 16.5%. So they can get money from China, for sure, for that project. And just to clarify that company, is that more of a tech company then? But they were saying that it's uh, proposing a proprietary continuous resin and pulp technology to, pr- to process the ore to produce nickel and cobalt sulfate products that are used in battery cathode fabrication. So, you know, obviously Freeland's way ahead of the curve. In fact, he, he first got this project in 2004 and then it later evolved. But now he's back involved and he's co-chairman of the company. So, he, you know, I, I would say that's a really good company to look at. He says he may list it in Canada, but right now it's only listed in, in Australia. Okay, okay. That's interesting because one of the other things I'd heard is that uh, the recovery processing is, is something that people are putting a lot of attention on because depending on what you have, whether you have it in nickel sulfide, whether you have the, you know, the cobar, co- uh, copper cobalt mm-hmm. oxide, um, that, it, that it can sort of, there's a lot of sort of processing circuit considerations. Yeah, I'm sure. Things. I don't really know the ins and outs yeah. of that. But, um, but yeah. this mine, if it goes into production, it would be 20 years. It would produce 3,100 mm-hmm. tons of cobalt a year which BMO says would equate to cathodes for the batteries of 500,000 electrical vehicles a year. Just on the market fundamentals, I was talking to Edward Spencer, who's the head cobalt market analyst at the CRU Group in London. He was telling me that cobalt entered a deficit last year, uh, and the price of cobalt nearly doubled in the first quarter of this year. So 
at the beginning of 2016, it was 90, for 99.8% cobalt metal, it was $10.25 a pound. At the end of 2016, it had gone up to 14.15, and at the end of March this year, it was 27.75. So you're seeing it go up quite significantly. And then outside of sort of the electric uh, car markets, Trish, is there any sort of other uses that it's that it's um, applied for that might demonstrate any sort of growth, or is it mostly just based on the lithium battery thing? Well, that's probably the biggest use going forward, but it's also used in things like um, airplane turbines, because aircraft engines need super alloys with a high content of cobalt in their hot sections. So you've got that application that's used in cemented carbides, which are used in metal cutting. Uh, it's used in automotive production and a number of other, other applications. So yeah, but I would say the electrical vehicle, the electric vehicle market is probably the big one going forward, at least. And it's sort of interesting. I mean, um, in your conversations with sort of juniors, obviously, and and I always like to ask this question because you've been around and I've been around, and we saw the rare earth thing yeah. and the graphite thing and the lithium thing. Have you? What's sort of the sales pitch on why this is different? Yeah, you're so right. The, you know, rare earth metals were such a, a flavor of the month sort of thing and fizzled out. But I think this one's got better legs on it uh, just because of the uses that and the whole DRC angle of it where it's a it's a byproduct. Uh, you know, you don't want it to be coming out of the DRC necessarily. There's political risk there. And so supply could be cut off. Who knows? So I think uh and, and as people say in the rare earth field, you know, rare earths aren't that rare. They're everywhere, right? But I think cobalt might be uh, something that's it's harder to find. And as you say, it's a byproduct, right? I think you're totally right. I mean, one of the things I noticed is that, A, you're not going to have a problem finding graphite because uh, as soon as graphite got that buzz, everybody seemed to have a graphite project. And then also the same with lithium. We've seen mm -hmm. just that run on lithium. You know, everyone appears to have a solar these days. So it's just like, uh, but but yeah. but yeah, cobalt is one thing. It's just, it's so, it's such an interesting, I'll have to actually get Leslie to do something on the mineralogy of it because it would be really interesting to figure out how it's formed because it's so closely tied to some of these base metal, uh, like the sedimentary belts in Zambia and stuff. So well, it's interesting. I think you're totally right that a lot of it's going to have to come down to scarcity, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Trisha, I'd like to thank you uh, for joining us and giving us a little update on the cobalt market. Um, I'm actually going to be sitting down with Cobalt 27 tomorrow. Oh, so excellent. we'll be chatting with them about, uh, they're looking at actually streaming it. So I'll have to talk to them about Cobalt Streams. But uh, once again, this has been Trish Saywell from our Toronto office, senior staff writer. Trish, thanks again so much for joining us. Thanks, Matt. I look forward to reading your story tomorrow. And welcome back to studio. Thanks again to Trish Saywell, our senior staff writer out of Toronto, for uh, swinging by to talk about cobalt. Uh, very interesting metal. I've heard of a, quite a number of deals. Um, uh, you can actually swing by northernminer.com. Trish has a ton of coverage on cobalt right now, which is all going to be in our te technological metal special. Uh, and I just had a chance to uh, chat with Anthony Maluski, uh, who's the chairman of uh, Cobalt 27 Capital, also with Pala Investments. Uh, and they just actually IPO'd for $200 million on the venture, which is, I believe, the largest IPO since uh, Rob Friedland 
Island uh, IPO'd Ivanhoe or Ivan Platts as it was known back then in 2012. Uh, so obviously a big story around Cobalt. Uh, you can check out my interview with Anthony also online uh, at northernminer.com. We'll also be in the special. Um, and we're actually thinking of having Anthony uh, Maluski from Cobalt 27 on the podcast at some point just to talk a little bit about electric vehicles uh, and his investment thesis on Cobalt. So look forward to that possibly. Uh, but right now I wanted to dig in a little bit uh, to a note I received from Canaccord recently on their Global Better, uh, Battery Material Conference. Um, and uh, they talk a little bit about this in, uh, in terms of lithium, graphite, and cobalt, um, and a number of the key takeaways that they uh, they, they observed during the conference. Uh, Canaccord notes that, quote-unquote, overall, we believe tight market conditions are likely to prevail within the lithium and cobalt sectors over 2017-2018, with graphite continuing to remain a longer-term prospect. While we focus uh, forecast that the lithium market could see supply imbalances over 2019-2022, we continue to highlight the poor track record for our new for new lithium projects and meaningful funding hurdles, suggesting meaningful risk to our supply forecasts. Um, also, they know uh, that lithium, there's a clear supply picture emerging vis-a-vis -vis stronger demand. Uh, well, graphite, uh, they've revised uh, downward marginally. Uh, graphite uh, for use in steel production represents the largest segment of current demand. However, slower than forecast adoption of steel production along with slight changes to battery chemistry assumptions mean very minor downward revisions to demand forecasts uh, in terms of graphite. Uh, furthermore, f uh, cobalt forecasts largely unchanged. Uh, deficits do persi uh, persist. Minor revisions have led to demand forecasts being mostly unchanged at 203,000 tons per annum in, uh, by 2025, uh, with Canaccord's outlook continuing to be characterized by uh, expected deficits. Uh, overall, uh, LT, uh, long term price forecasts for cobalt have moved up marginally from $34 per pound to US $35 per pound pound so we will definitely be keeping our eye on uh, all those materials uh, if you want some really in-depth coverage though uh, do grab the newspaper next week we'll have a lot of stories on uh, specific companies and some analyst reports uh, on all of those fancy metals that we're talking about so much these days vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, electric vehicles the green revolution etc uh, so you'll see a lot of uh, lithium and cobalt coverage for sure moving forward uh, but for now uh, what I have coming up next is actually uh, equally exciting uh, we have some uh, audio from Lucas Lundin who uh, uh, was uh, absolutely a pleasure when he joined us in uh, London for the Canadian Mining Symposium to talk a little bit about uh, where he's been investment-wise and where he's going. So he talks a little bit about oil and gas, coal, uh, what it means with this sort of uh, emerging uh, new green technologies and uh, how he's looking at copper moving forward. Uh, so we have about a five-minute uh, five segment with Lucas where he talks about a lot of these issues uh, in terms of his investment portfolio and what he likes moving forward, uh, what he thinks about investing in things like lithium. Uh, you, you'll note he mentions that a lot of these are very small markets so it's 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 difficult he thinks to make money necessarily uh in these markets you got to be right there and jump on the right opportunity so i will run these comments from lucas lundin at our canadian mining symposium in early may and i'll be back after the break to wrap up the show I think thermocore right now, like we spoke a bit earlier, is, is very important for us to, uh, for energy and, you know, it's not going to spare overnight. But I think over time we will, you know, of course, diminute, have, let, have less influence on our over 10, 20 years. Today is important, but, you know, don't forget that green energy is taking up, uh, you know, in, in China it's about 15% of the Chinese electrical power grid. And that, you know, is going to become bigger. The biggest problem with green energy is that we don't have base loads, you know, so we need nuclear, we need hydro, we need coal, gas, because we don't have 
any way of storing electrical energy today. And once we find that, it's a game changer, but I don't know if it's going to be my lifetime. You can, you know, you can store for houses and small projects, but you know, we don't have industrial way to store electrical energy. So as long as we don't have that, we, we need the base load. So we're going to need coal, nuclear, gas, you know, till we have find a solution to that problem. But you know, we can increase more, so you know, we can feed the grid when it's windy, but you know, it's hard to shut down a nuclear plant. You know, the only thing that works a gas-fired plant, because gas we can shut up and on. You know, the rest of those energies, you know, so we get to excess energy when we don't need it, and then we get too little when we need it. So the, the green energy has still ways to go, but it's done impressive step, leaps forward over the last 10 years. Uranium is very good energy, but you know it's very controversial. And I think with the green energy take over, you know, uranium is going to take over the back foot. You know, China is going to build about 40, 50 uh, new nuclear power stations, and I, I think for them to build more after that might not happen because they might have enough base load that nuclear power to keep the green energy going. So, uranium business is, is a bit of a tougher business. But the interesting with the uranium business that you need about two million pounds to start a nuclear power station. That's the base load, and then it costs takes about six hundred thousand pounds a year to keep it going. You know, so it's. Uh, you know, uranium business here to stay, but you know, we produce a lot of cheap uranium. And I think Kazakhstan has changed the uranium picture. You know, 20 years ago, it didn't exist. And I think they produce about one third of all the uranium in the world. So it must be about 200 million pounds a year. So they produce about 60, 70 million pounds. So uranium price could stay low and they can produce that very cheaply. So I think it's a good energy, it's a tough commodity. <laughs> I mean, lithium is a small market, you know, it's about 200,000 tons a year. I think that's what somebody told me. And, and so it's not very big, it's about $3 billion. It's not a very big market. And most, I think 90% of lithium is from brine, you know, and then most from Chile, I think it's 50%, and that's from Sokamich. So it's uh, hard luck lithium, it's a complicated process, and the back end of the process is quite tough to recover lithium. And lithium itself, it's not, it's not a product. You, you can't just produce lithium and go to the car company and sell it because, you know, it's different types of lithium. You have to have a proven process. You know, you have to have a refinery and you have to produce it for years before you get it. So it's not an easy business. And, uh, you know, over time, I'm sure lithium is going to come more of lithium, but it's, it's a tough business today. And it's a small market. So I think it's quite hard to make money if you're actually trying to make money in lithium, it's, it's a good promote right now because everybody likes to hear it. But uh, to actually really make lithium work, it's not that easy. I think the place to go is probably Salar in Bolivia. Most of Chile is tied up by the Chile, Chileans and some in Argentina. But uh, it's interesting. But, it's, but again, it's a small market. So it's, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. It's because those small minerals are tough to make money in. Anyway, I think what's going to shrink here over time is probably oil. Oil is the biggest business we have, but uh, uh, we're going to talk about oil a bit further. But uh, oil, I grew up in oil was a question of supply. We could never supply enough oil. I think over time it's going to be a question of demand. You know, I don't know if we're going to peak out 100 million barrels, 120 million barrels a day. So I think the oil picture might slow down a bit. I think uh, the base metals probably going to stay strong, I think especially copper, if uh, we're thinking about all these electrical cars and we haven't found anything else to conduct electricity better than the copper so far. And gold is, is uh, basically a tool of fear. So, you know, if you're worried about the world, I guess gold's going to be big, bigger. If the world goes well, gold's going to stay the same. So, you know, so that's, that's one hard to read. But I think the base metals is a good space to be.
The other thing, I think copper for sure is a, is a commodity of choice and uh, copper has a good future. And the interesting thing in copper, we don't have any greenfield projects, not that many. We have part of the Panama that uh, First Quantum is building, it's coming on, uh, or Togo is getting a bit bigger. But in general, we don't have that much coming on. So the copper over time, I think, is going to be stronger. And if demand is, we're talking about, it's looking good. That's, it's probably a good time to invest in greenfield copper projects. There's some around for, to look at, for sure. And you know, we're very, very interested in doing that right now. And welcome back to studio. And thanks again to Lucas Lundin for being one of the featured speakers at our Canadian Mining Symposium in London about a month ago. Uh, great event, uh, a lot of positive feedback, and uh, Canadian miners did uh, a great job overseas uh, talking about the industry back home. Uh, so yeah, I look forward to more content from that moving forward. I do have some audio uh, in my back pocket uh, that will be uh, uh, sort of shuffling through the podcast as we move ahead here. Uh, Leslie will be back uh, probably next week, I think. Uh, she's on vacation currently, so we'll get the geology corner going again for sure and uh, we look forward to more contributions from Trish Saywell as well out of Toronto our senior staff writer uh, she's really got her finger on the pulse uh, back east there uh, so great uh, a lot of great segments this week uh, just to wrap up wanted to mention once again uh, for our Yukon uh, moment uh, that um I will be heading up in about two weeks to the Yukon for the annual media tour. I'll be stopping by a number of uh, projects and uh, chatting with everyone to see what's going on up there with the uh, involvement of all those majors. We'll be very interested to see how much activity is going on and talk to uh, the local businesses about uh, whether they're seeing an influx of those uh, dollars from the major miners. Uh, but uh, I also had the chance to sit down and chat with uh, management from Alexco Resources recently about getting back into production at Kino Hill, uh, which is the silver mine outside of Mayo up there. I visited a few times. Uh, so I chatted with them uh, this week about how they kind of wanted to get back into production up there next year. So I'll be visiting that site uh, and have an in-depth article about their uh, renegotiations on a stream with Wheaton Precious Metals, which was obviously uh, formerly Silver Wheaton, uh, and sort of how they've uh, restructured that agreement to move back into production at Kino Hill uh, within probably the next 12 to 18 months. They're hoping anyway. That's guidance. Um, but uh, some interesting stuff from them. So that's uh, that's some exclusive content that we will have moving forward. Uh, but also uh, look forward to uh, all the content I'll be producing while I'm up in the Yukon for the four days. Leslie will be joining me on July 12th. Uh, we'll probably do a podcast in Dawson City. It's going to be a great event. It is every year. So I do look forward to the content coming out of there. Um, and as usual, please do like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and rate us on and subscribe on iTunes. Uh, it helps us out a absolute ton. But as usual, we do really appreciate your listenership. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, this has been Matthew Keeble with the Northern Miner Podcast, and I will talk to you next week.